Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I have a backcountry hunting story from the Cascades in Washington a few years back. I was with my brother. We were 12 miles from the nearest road, six miles of normal trail, and six more miles on a trail long abandoned that was near worthless. It was super steep, and we were bushwhacking with every step blow down all over it. The only backcountry hunt that I wished I had a machete. Point is, we picked this area because no one else should be around. Took most of the day to get to nearly the only flat spot around. We glassed a deer or two before dark, but were hunting bear. Woke up that night. Around 1 a.m. to the sound of digging. 
figured it was a bear rolling over logs and digging up the ground, except it sounded more metallic, like a shovel being forced into rocky soil. It was slightly downhill from us, and I poked my head out of the tent, tried to shine my light to at least scare. The bear off. Didn't see anything. Must have been further away than I thought. Listened for a while longer, then fell back asleep. Not much longer, and my brother wakes me up with eyes as big as dinner plates. There were voices about ten feet from our tent. I roll over and can see a light shining outside our tent. We lay there and listen for a minute, and they are speaking some Eastern European language. My brother is freaking out, but I mustered the courage to poke my head out of the tent. There was three guys huddled together with headlamps shining on the ground, looking possibly at a map. They don't see me. So I slide back in the tent and report this to my brother. My brother is still freaking out, but for some reason that I still don't know why, I was super calm. I remember thinking if they were going to harm us, they would have already, and it didn't seem much use to talk to them since they weren't speaking English. They walked away after a few more minutes, and I feel back asleep. But I don't think my brother slept another wink. There is no way they could have made it into that area in the dark, unless they knew it well. It was hard to do in broad daylight. Back at home, I recount the story to my wife, who is convinced they buried a body up there, and that was them making the noise, not a bear. I think there would have been one thousand places along the way to our camp to do something like that, but who knows? My grandfather always had a knack for telling stories that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. One particular tale he shared with me has always stuck in my mind. It took place many years ago when he was a young man in India driving his truck between rural villages late at night. The sky was pitch black, and the only source of light came from the truck's headlights as they cut through the darkness. There was nobody around, and the only sound was the rumbling of the truck's engine. As he continued his journey, he reached a particularly wobbly stretch of road, forcing him to slow down. As he inched his way forward, something caught his eye. A small shadow darted across the headlights, running at a seemingly inhuman speed. Upon closer inspection, he realized that it was a baby, or at least it appeared to be. Shocked and confused, he decided to stop the truck and investigate. My grandfather got out of his truck and began to chase after the baby, desperate to find out what was going on. He called out, his voice echoing through the darkness. But there was no response. The baby had seemingly vanished into the surrounding forest. He searched for what felt like hours, but ultimately, he could not find any trace of the child. Defeated and bewildered, he returned to his truck and continued his journey, unable to shake the eerie encounter from his thoughts. Over the years, my grandfather has recounted this story many times, and each time it sends shivers down my spine. Was it truly a baby that he saw that night, or was it something else entirely? We may never know the truth, but the mystery of that haunting experience will continue to linger in our imaginations. When I was 14 or so, I spent a weekend with a friend at his cabin at Heart Lake, Canada, a place which I later learned is tied to the First Nations people that lived there. 
On the second night, we decided to stay in a small fishing shack a few hundred feet away from the actual lake house, which was little more than a shed with two bunk beds on opposite sides. I slept on the top bunk on one side, he on the bottom bunk on the other. I remember very vividly waking up because of the warmth. It was late autumn and we'd had to bundle up to keep from freezing, but now, at about 3 a.m., the cabin was very comfortable and the light was casting shadows on the wall beside me. In my tired, half-awake state, I could see the shadows were reflections of animals outside. There were a few squirrels, a couple birds pecking at the ground, and mostly rabbits. About two or three bunny shadows were always reflected on the wall just a foot from my gaze, shadows casually nibbling at the ground and seeming extremely unconcerned in general. It was serene. To this day I remember how peaceful it was, how unrushed I felt to rouse myself fully awake. I don't remember if I actually heard birds chirping or if I only imagined it because they were so lifelike. As I began to wake up further and further, however, it dawned on me the cabin didn't have a light inside of it. Nor was there a window. I pulled myself up slowly, confused but too peaceful to be truly startled, and realized I couldn't determine the source of the light. I woke up my friend, who was immediately scared by the fact that we could see each other clearly despite no visible source of illumination, and I called him to take a look at the still moving shadows on the wall next to me. He did screamed, and fled from the cab immediately and started running back towards the lake house. I stayed behind to watch the figures a little while longer, partially because I was surprised that they hadn't also panicked and fled at his noise, and partially because I felt like when I left, the zen-like feeling of tranquility would go as well. Eventually I did follow him back up to the lake house, where his religious father gave us a furious lecture about making up stories. I spoke to that same friend in passing a decade later, and he told me he still remembered the night vividly. He cited the experience as the main reason he turned to Wiccanism later in life. We wrote down every detail we could remember and sent them to each other simultaneously over a chat program, and they matched up perfectly, except for the fact that he also stated that he distinctly remembers feeling protected. I sometimes wish there was more to the story, but every single word the above is 100% true. My aunt in Mexico is a Bruja. Which? She is someone that is wealthy but acts dirt poor and no one messes with her. One year I decided to go down to my grandmother's hometown and learn more about where I'm from. My aunt was one of the many people that came to greet me. I gave everyone kisses and hugs and introduced myself. When I got to my aunt she grabbed my hand and instantly I felt drained. I thought nothing of it since I just got off a three-hour flight. I returned to my uncle's house to rest before going to meet more of my family members. As I was laying down, my head started to throb harder and harder. One of the worst headaches I have ever had. I took some Tylenol, but that didn't seem to help. I still went to visit family even though my head felt like a hammer was hitting it. I never believed in brujeria. I just knew about it. Over the course of my stay, I kept getting sicker and sicker. Some days I couldn't walk, others I'd throw up. I just thought it was because I was in a different country and my body isn't used to it. One of my other uncles came to see me and I told him about it. He told me to come over to his house that afternoon and that he can make my sickness go away. I didn't really believe him because my uncle was a medicine man and I thought what he was talking about was fake. 
Boy, was I wrong. I went to his house and he made me choose an egg. He then performed this ritual on me where you rub the egg around your body to cleanse it. When he cracked open the egg, it was completely black. He said that someone put a hex out on me. He knew instantly who it was. Note. My uncle and my aunt, that's a witch, do not get along. After that, he walked me back to where I was staying because he didn't want her touching or talking to me. Once I was inside, I heard them screaming at each other. That night, Guadalajara had one of the worst floods, thunder lightning storms. I prayed and prayed all night that God would protect me from my aunt. I had sleep paralysis, but it wasn't a negative, scared feeling, more like a caring and holding feeling. The next morning I awoke with no headache, sickness, and ready to take on the day. It was a scary experience, and honestly don't wish it on my worst enemy. I had just begun my shift at the police station when a young woman walked in, looking scared and frantic. She said someone had been stalking her in her new apartment and she needed our help. At first we thought it was a simple case, but as she told her story, it became clear that there was something more sinister going on. The woman, who we'll call Emily, had moved into her apartment just two weeks prior. She had found the place online, and despite the unusually low rent for the area, the pictures looked great. The broker seemed legitimate, so she decided to visit the building. It was after this phone call with the broker that she started receiving late-night blank calls, which only escalated her fear. When she visited the building, everything seemed fine. But there was a group of people outside the apartment that made her uneasy. Despite this, she decided to move in a month later. The moving crew commented on the apartment's cold and uneasy atmosphere, but Emily brushed it off as moving day nerves. But strange things started happening almost immediately. She saw shadows moving around her apartment and felt an unnatural darkness lingering in the hallway. She received a mysterious package addressed to her, and when she looked up at her balcony from outside, she felt like someone was watching her. When she went inside her apartment, the door was ajar, but nobody was inside. One night she ordered food delivery, and a man she didn't recognize came to her door. He wouldn't respond when she asked if he was the delivery person, and continued to pound on her door. Eventually he left, and the actual delivery person arrived. She paid him in cash, even though he claimed that she had already paid online. The strange occurrences continued. Her plants on the balcony were smashed, the lights flickered, and someone constantly knocked on her door. After two weeks, Emily came to us for help. We checked the CTV footage around her apartment building, and while we saw her looking out of her door multiple times, we didn't see any suspicious individuals. The delivery person's account didn't match Emily's story either. We decided to visit her apartment ourselves. As we entered the apartment, we couldn't deny the cold and eerie feeling inside. Emily mentioned that there was an inexplicable draft, but we couldn't find the source. The neighbors told us about a disturbing history of the apartment with multiple women moving in, only to disappear shortly after. The previous tenant, a woman in her forties, had disappeared months ago. When we showed the delivery person her photo, he identified her as the woman who had taken the food that night. But she couldn't have been there. 
An elderly neighbor shared a theory about the apartment sending its residents to a different dimension, but we couldn't take her seriously. All we knew was that something strange was happening in that apartment. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. We advised Emily to call us if anything else happened, but we didn't hear from her for another two weeks. When we went to check on her, the apartment was locked and Emily was gone. The unnerving mystery of the apartment continued, leaving us with no answers, only more questions, and an unsettling feeling that would haunt us for the rest of our careers. Despite the lack of concrete evidence, we couldn't shake the feeling that something was terribly wrong with that apartment. We decided to dig deeper into its history, searching for any clues that could explain the strange events and the disappearances of its tenants. We interviewed former residents and neighbors, many of whom shared similar eerie stories. We discovered that the building's landlord had changed hands numerous times, and each one seemed eager to sell the property quickly. The more we investigated, the more it seemed that everyone involved with the apartment wanted to distance themselves from it. As we delved into the building's history, we learned that it was once a hospital, and the room that was now Emily's apartment had been the morgue. This revelation sent a chill down our spines. Could this explain the cold and uneasy presence felt in the apartment? Our investigation led us to a local historian who specialized in paranormal events. He suggested that the apartment might be a liminal space, a place where the boundaries between dimensions are thin, allowing for strange occurrences and possibly the disappearances of its residents. As improbable as it seemed, the evidence was mounting. We approached our superiors with our findings, but they were skeptical. They believed that the tenants had simply left without notice, and the strange stories were just coincidences fueled by an overactive imagination. But we couldn't let it go. The disappearances of Emily and the other women weighed heavily on our minds. We decided to set up a stakeout in the apartment, hoping to catch a glimpse of the elusive stalker or at the very least, find a logical explanation for the strange events. We moved into the apartment, setting up cameras and recording devices throughout the space. The first few nights were uneventful, but on the fourth night, something changed. The air in the apartment grew colder, and the darkness seemed to come alive, wrapping itself around us like a suffocating blanket. The walls began to vibrate, and we heard an unearthly scream that shook us to our core. In that moment, we knew we were dealing with something beyond our understanding. We abandoned the stakeout, fleeing the apartment in terror. We reported our experience to our superiors, but they dismissed it as a stress-induced hallucination. Frustrated and scared, we decided to take matters into our own hands. We contacted a renowned paranormal investigator and asked for their help. With their assistance, we performed a cleansing ritual in the apartment, hoping to rid it of the malevolent energy that haunted it. To our surprise, the ritual seemed to work. The apartment's atmosphere changed and the mysterious occurrences ceased. 
However, we never found Emily or the other missing women. Their disappearances remained an unsolved mystery that would haunt us for years to come. In the end, we couldn't prove that the apartment was a gateway to another dimension, or that it was haunted by the spirits of the dead, but we knew that something inexplicable and terrifying had happened there, and we would never forget the chilling experiences we had within those cold, dark walls. Unarmed security for a residential building here. This is extremely tame compared to some of the other stories here, but this is a pretty salient subject. And I have evidence. My site has uh, a rooftop pool, and it's really one of the only major things the management gets anal about when it's supposed to be closed. On a chilly night not too long ago, I was posted up in the rooftop stairwell, staying warm when I hear a crescendo. Ing! Fit of laughter that goes to the point where the laugher is gasping and choking. Kind of weird, but not a big deal, considering that people throw parties and whatnot all the time, and I could tell it wasn't close enough to be someone horsing around in the pool. Then I just start hearing a bunch of shrieking, and the source of the noise is moving around. At this point I step out, and I realize it's coming from the rooftop itself, locked up and only accessible by non-security by scaling a concrete wall. The noise stops, and I try to start zeroing from where exactly on this dark, slippery, cold-ass roof the noises were coming from. Then I see some footprints on the roof that were not there before. Barefoot prints with no heel print, tiptoeing. Footprints that are dirtier than the surface of the roof itself. Nope, my way right back inside because it was an hour before clock. Out I'd much rather have something paranormal than a meth head on the roof running around with no shoes. I grew up in a small village surrounded by tales of the supernatural, but one story stood out from the rest. The legend of the Alma Panada, or the woman without cold. It all started with a report from a local lady who claimed to have seen a mysterious woman walking barefoot on cold nights along the road where the oldest houses stood. This peculiar sight caught the villagers' attention, as it was common for people to wake up during the night to add more wood to their fireplaces to keep warm. Seeing someone outside at such late hours, especially during freezing temperatures, was unusual to say the least. One fateful night, the village was startled by a series of blood-curdling screams emanating from beyond its borders. The sound was so dreadful that several men felt compelled to leave their homes and investigate. They believed someone must be in grave danger and set out to rescue whoever was in peril. As they approached a small forest on the outskirts of the village, they saw the source of the screams. It was the strange barefoot woman from the earlier reports. She wasn't being attacked or threatened. She simply wandered out of the forest, screaming. The men quickly realized that this was no ordinary person. They were dealing with something beyond this world. Fearing the unknown, they extinguished their lanterns and hurried back to the village. From that night on, whenever they heard the terrifying screams, no one dared venture out. They knew it was the woman without cold, a being seemingly impervious to the frigid temperatures. The villagers couldn't determine whether she was a spirit or something else entirely, but her presence continued to haunt them. As a child, I remember lying in bed, my heart racing whenever I heard the eerie screams in the night. 
Despite my fear, I couldn't help but be captivated by the mystery of the woman without cold. Who was she, and what had brought her to our village? Years have passed, and I've since moved away from that small village, but the legend of the Alma Panetta has never left me. Even now, on cold winter nights, I can't help but look out the window and wonder if I might catch a glimpse of the enigmatic woman who once walked the streets of my childhood home, her chilling cries echoing through the night. For thirty long years I've kept a secret that's haunted me, a secret so terrifying that I stopped going into the woods entirely. I've chosen to remain anonymous, but recent events have compelled me to finally share the harrowing experience that led me to avoid the Tennessee wilderness. It's a tale of fear, survival, and a brush with the unknown that changed my life forever. Three decades ago, I decided to spend a day hiking in the Smoky Mountains. I packed light, hiked a couple of miles into the woods, and set up camp with my two loyal canine companions. It was a perfect day, filled with exploration and the beauty of nature. As late afternoon arrived, I prepared to settle down and start a fire to warm up the campsite. However, my dogs seemed unusually agitated, barking and growling at something in the distance. Although they had always managed to keep bears away before, I couldn't help but feel a twinge of concern. As night began to fall, I left the tent door open to enjoy the warm summer air. I settled in for the night with my dogs nestled close. Suddenly I awoke to the bright moonlight illuminating the campsite and my dogs growling deeply. I then heard a strange thrumming groan coming from outside the tent. As my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I could see a dark outline that resembled the shape of a bear lurking just beyond the now cold embers of the campfire. I shouted at the figure, and to my surprise it went quiet, but then began to grow until it towered over the tent screen window. It was massive, unlike anything I had ever encountered outside of a zoo. My dogs continued to growl, their instincts telling them that this creature was not to be trusted. The creature inhaled a long, slow breath, before letting out a trumpeting call that sounded like a mix of a lion's roar and a human shout. My dogs went silent, and the creature bolted away. Ignoring my commands, they pursued the creature into the darkness. Panicked, I grabbed my rifle and headlamp and followed them. I could hear their barking in the distance, but they moved too quickly for me to catch up. Then I heard a maniacal laughing sound, like a hyena coming from the same direction as my dogs. My dread grew, but I persisted, hoping to find them safe. As the night wore on and the barking faded, I knew I had to return to camp or risk becoming lost myself. I spent the night waiting, calling for my dogs occasionally, but they never returned. At dawn I resumed my search. And hours later, I found one of them badly injured and whimpering in a thicket, the other torn to pieces. The loss of my dog's life hit me hard, and my surviving companion became fearful of both the night and the woods. I knew I had encountered something far worse than any bear or known predator that night. While checking a barbed wire enclosed spring used to water cattle, I saw in the mud, within the barbed wire, a very large footprint. It was larger than my hand span wide and from my elbow to the tops of my second knuckles long. I am six feet tall, 
I collected tufts of black hair, which I still have. I turned around carefully, checking my surroundings. The pines were wide, tall, and dense. There was pine duff on the ground, and quite old and deep. I took off my shoe and placed it alongside a footprint in the duff, as it was not safe inside the spring to do so. The print extended well beyond my size 11. I was looking at a track of something very large in height and weight. I placed my weight near the track in the pine duff to judge how much the maker of the track weighed. My guess was somewhere around 425 to 450 pounds after I compared the two. My 240 pounds made an impression only half as deep and there was more duff beneath the track so it was a very good guess. As to the height of the thing my best guess judging from the span of a non-hurrying stride, a normal step was seven feet. Seven half feet tall. It took two of my normal walking strides to cover just one of its steps, from the right foot to the left foot imprint. I tracked it until I felt uncomfortable about going any higher up in elevation, and because of the density of undergrowth. This occurred during the dry season, and this was accessible water for it. I thought it wise to return to my uncle's home, with his two young children, ages eleven and eight. On this east side of the Warners, the sun sets early, even on a summer afternoon. Although I did not see it, I know they are out there. As to the exact location, I wish that to be kept confidential, because my family do not wish the land to be overrun by flatland trackers.